Oh boy. All of a sudden, this became very real. But um, yeah, we had a good time last night. I continue to learn more and more about the folks here at Calvary, and I find out last night we have an extremely competitive group of people. I thought I saw a lot of the competition at the retreat last fall with the dodgeball, but mini golf put that all to shame last night. So, um, so stay tuned, like Dave said, for the next one, and um, hopefully we can get more of you to come out and just have fun and hang out together. So, before I dive into God's word, would you just pray with me for a second? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given us. We thank you for the fragrance of spring, the colors of spring, and the promise of new mercies every morning. We thank you for that beautiful worship set this morning where we could just take time and lift our voices to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, I just pray specifically for me this morning that you would empty me of me and fill me with your Holy Spirit as I bring the message this morning. Take out my words and only give me your words. And may everything I say and do here be honor and glorifying to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so... So good morning, as Dave mentioned, today I get to talk to you about the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder. But before I do, I thought it might be a good idea to have a little review session. Since we've been speaking of the Ten Commandments over the past four or five weeks now, and have a little Ten Commandment checkup and see how we're doing. So, commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. So, how are we doing? Have you put God first in everything? Your time, does he get first priority or leftovers? Your tithe, does he get first fruit? Does he get anything? How about your talents? Are you living for you, or are you living for his kingdom? Believe me, these were hard for me to answer, so I'm, I'm with y'all here. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. What are your idols? Your phone? Social media? Your job? Your job title? Your money, your address, your education, your children, your business, or yourself. All right, moving right along here. Number three, you shall not take the Lord in the name of the Lord your God in vain. How are you doing with that? Maybe you're doing okay. But are you tolerating others around you when they do it? It should bother you to hear that. And maybe you are taking the name of the Lord's 
name of the Lord in vain and you don't even realize it. So maybe you need to stop and think about what you're saying. Moving on. Number four, honor your father and your mother. How'd you do this week with your parents or your children? Is your life bringing honor to your family, both past and present? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sam talked about this a couple weeks ago. Are you resting? Are you being still? Do you take time out of your week to just be? Do you set aside time to pray, to read the Bible, to worship? It's all about the application of God's word. We can read it, we can memorize it, but if we don't apply it, it means nothing. God didn't write this book just to give us something good to read. He gave us something to live by. Imagine if a NASA engineer decided not to apply the basic laws of physics and math when he or she were doing the calculations for a space shuttle. All of their education and training would mean nothing because they're not applying it to real life, and it would be a disaster. So these are guidelines for us. Okay. You shall not murder, bringing us to today. You're probably out there thinking, good, I got this one. But do you? So I'm going to talk about it a little bit this morning. You shall not murder. I'm also going to tell you a story. A story about murder, forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. It's a story about God's pathway to healing and wholeness. It's a story about the reckless love of God. So here we go. Once again, you shall not murder. Simple, straightforward, black and white, easy to understand and obey. Enough said. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> That's today's sermon. <laughs> Don't murder anyone. If only it were that simple. Murder is wrong. It's a sin. And just like any other sin, it breaks God's heart. And the penalty for it is death. For the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6.23. However, just like any other sin, murder can be forgiven and complete restoration can take place because of Jesus' great sacrifice on the cross, just what we sang about this morning. In Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we 
could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What a gift. So, what does murder mean and how is it different from killing? All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. There's a difference. So let's look at the definition of murder. The crime of unlawfully killing a person, especially with malice aforethought. The unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. All right. So, what's that? You're probably thinking, she's lost her mind. What's she doing? We're talking about the definition of murder. So, it's a flock of crows, which also happens to be another definition of murder. So that's your trivia point for today. So the next time you're driving down the road and you see a bunch of crows along the side of the road, you can say to the person in the car with you, look, there's a murder. Sorry. They'll think you've lost your mind just like I just did by doing that. But anyway, <laughs> so it's just a little trivia. Anyway, let's talk about the definition of kill. Cause the death of a person, animal, or other living thing. Put an end to or cause the failure or defeat of something. Congress kills a bill. To deprive of life in any manner, cause the death of slay. To destroy, to do away with, extinguish, like we kill the lights. So many modern translations of the Bible translate this verse as you should not kill. However, if you go back to the original Hebrew, racha, and I probably just slaughtered that word, but I, I listened to it to try and catch it. But it means to murder, to slay, to assassinate. It's only used approximately 40 times in the Old Testament, so it's a very, very specific word. God's not against all killing, but he is against premeditated murder. This is not a contradiction of who God is and what his word says. If he were against all killing, then he wouldn't have ordered Israel to kill men, women, and children when they took Jericho and other examples in the Old Testament. The Bible also talks about capital punishment. It says in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Murder, adultery, incest, homosexuality, and rape were all considered capital punishment crimes. Killing as a result of war also does not fall under this commandment. So it's very specific. So who were a couple notable murderers in the Bible? So... Cain murdered Abel. It was the second sin recorded in the Bible back in Genesis. 
And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It goes on to say in that chapter, I don't know, Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. We don't know a lot about Cain, but it doesn't seem that like Cain ever dealt with his sin or repented of his sin or even recognized the wrong that he had done. Moving on to Moses. Moses murdered the Egyptian. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. It was wrong. It was murder. But later on, Moses found grace and redemption. It says in Exodus 33, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. How personal is that? And then it goes on to say, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. So Moses came through a transition. Moses found God's forgiveness and acceptance. And Moses is one of the reasons why we're talking about this commandment today. So, all right, how about David? King David, he had Uriah murdered. He had it written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at that place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab and some of the people among David's servants fell and Uriah the Hittite also died. If you remember, Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba, and David wanted Bathsheba for his own. So, he didn't physically kill him, but he contracted for his killing, which was premeditated, which makes it murder. Later down in that passage, it says, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. David's also a good example of the difference between killing and murder. David killed Goliath. That was an act of war. David had Uriah murdered. That's the premeditated killing of another human being. David struggled with his sin. If you've read through the Psalms, you can hear his heart. You can hear the pain. You can hear the anger anguish. The Psalms also speak of his physical suffering from this sin, as well as the emotional anguish. He too later found God's grace and forgiveness when he was confronted with his sin and confessed it. And as we know, he's in the lineage of Christ, as well as Bathsheba. And in Acts, it talks about 
um, King David. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. So David, despite his past, despite the murder, is a man after God's own heart. And he found favor in the Lord, and God used him. Fast forward to modern day, murder in modern times. Murder, genocide, mass shooting, chemical warfare, gang murders dominate the headlines. Think of Hitler, Stalin, Chairman Mao. Estimates for Hitler are somewhere in the six million range for the number of Jews he had murdered. Stalin, the estimates were all over the place, anywhere from 25 to 40 million people. Mao also was up in that number. These were not nice guys. Come a little closer to modern times. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. 17 people were murdered on Valentine's Day of this year. Dominated the headlines. The Las Vegas shooting and massacre, 58 people killed, over 800 wounded this past October. Assad in Syria just a couple weeks ago, dozens die from a chemical attack. The Rwandan genocide, you don't hear much about that anymore, but in 1994, up to one million people were murdered in Africa. It was just pure genocide. We've almost become immune to the headlines. They all run together. Virginia Tech, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Oklahoma Federal Building, millions upon millions lives have been taken. Thou shalt not murder. Even this morning, my phone was going off with the headline that somebody walked into a Waffle House and shot down people this morning. There is another genocide mass murder that's occurring in our world and in our country today that doesn't make the headlines. Over 56 million unborn babies are murdered every year around the world. In a period of years, that is equal to a half a billion babies. That's billion with a B. 25% of all pregnancies worldwide end in abortion. In the United States alone, since Roe versus Wade became law in 1973, over 60 million babies have been murdered in the United States. One out of four women in the United States will have an abortion before they reach age 45. In 2016, there were 31,000 abortions performed right here in Pennsylvania. Montgomery County, where we're standing, 
is the fourth highest county for abortions in Pennsylvania. It's Philadelphia, Harrisburg, Delaware County, Montgomery County. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the elephant in the room. The statistics for South Korea were hard to come by since abortion there is technically illegal. But South Korea has one of the highest abortion rates in the world. It's illegal, but no one gets penalized for it. The number for 2016 was estimated to be around 500,000, which is greater than the number of babies born. Thou shalt not murder. These are precious lives. They are not just clumps of cells, as people claim. By day 22, the heart of an unborn child begins to beat with the child's own blood, often with a different type than the mother. Former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop stated, we now know when life begins because the test tube baby proves that life begins with conception. What do you have in the dish? An egg and a sperm. What do you do to it to get a baby? Nothing. Though it is we, it is still a real person, just as a crumb of bread is still real bread. No one who has been given the gift of life should dare despise the day of small beginnings. Have we forgotten so quickly that we were once as small? In Psalm 139, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I do not say these things as a political statement. I say them as a biblical statement and a statement of truth. Abortion is wrong. Abortion is the premeditated murder of an unborn innocent child. We were made in the image of God he is our heavenly father, and we are all his children. Psalm 24 speaks to that. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. People today are more passionate about an endangered frog species or a particular plant than they are about human life. Just so happens that today is Earth Day, and we have people out there worshiping Mother Earth. Yes, it is important to be good stewards of our planet and all that God has given us, but we have rearranged our priorities. The news is silent about all the innocent lives being lost, 
and the lasting emotional toll that is being taken on the mothers who killed them. This topic is very personal to me. You see, my child was one of the 60 million babies that have been slaughtered by the abortion law in the United States since 1973. Yes, I murdered my unborn child in 1984. And I'm not proud of it. Although I was not a committed follower of Jesus at the time, I knew it was wrong. Very, very wrong. But I went through with it anyway. I told my nurse that day that I would recover physically, but I would never be able to recover emotionally. It became my dirty little secret. Very few people knew about it. Like most post-abortion women, I buried it deep down so I wouldn't have to think about it or deal with it. For the next several years, I lived a fast and loose life. I was dirty. I was broken. I was full of shame, and I didn't know what to do with all the pain. In 1988, I started going to church again, and I started attending a women's Bible study. Even though I grew up attending church and going to Sunday school, I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I believed he was born in a manger, I believed he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. I believed all that, but I never fully understood the message of the gospel and what it had to do with me personally. It was during this time that the Holy Spirit removed the scales from my eyes and my heart to show me the sin, and to show me that I needed a savior. I realized for the first time that the reason Jesus suffered and died a horrible, horrible, horrible death on the cross was because of me and my sin. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I realized for the first time that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die in my place so that I could spend eternity in heaven with him. John 3.16, a verse that I had memorized as a child, took on an entire different meaning for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That verse now became, for God so loved Brenda. That he gave his only begotten son 
And if Brenda believes in him, she will not perish. She will have eternal life. You see, if I were the only person on earth, God would have sent Jesus to die just for me and my sins. He would do the same for each one of you. He loves you that much. That's the reckless love of God that we sang about this morning. Time went on. I began to learn about God's grace and forgiveness. That all of my sins, past, present, and future, had been wiped away and forgiven on the cross at Calvary. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow, the Bible tells us in Isaiah. And in Psalm 103, it tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. We confess them, he remembers them no more. I could let go and I could accept forgiveness for all of my sins, except my abortion. That wouldn't happen for many years. Satan kept me in bondage to that dirty little secret and continued to use it against me. Satan is the father of lies and the prince of darkness. He was telling me that God could never forgive my abortion. Never. That was too big. And by me continuing to keep it a secret, it remained in the dark where Satan has dominion. It wasn't until 1995, 1999, excuse me, 15 years post-abortion, which unfortunately is pretty common for women. It's a 10 to 15 year women, a window that they just shut down, bury everything. So it was 15 years later that I was finally able to break free. I was finally able to receive God's forgiveness. I was able to forgive myself. And I was able to go public with my story. You see, freedom, my freedom came from Christian counseling. Couldn't do it on my own. I immersed myself in God's word. I studied his truths. I had a tremendous amount of support, love and support from those closest to me, including David, my loving husband. And I was overcoming the fear of having people judge me. Satan's lies could no longer dominate me. And my secret was now out in the light. And the prince of darkness no longer has control. The light of the world, Jesus, was now in charge. Luke 7:47 became my life verse. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. 
But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Romans 8 became my lifeline. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. I was free. I was free from the sin of my abortion. Moving further down in Romans 8, it says, But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor thing present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Nothing can come between you and that reckless, reckless love of God. Don't carry around your dirty little secrets or sins. The longer you do, the deeper the grip that they have on you. They can also lead to more and more sin. It becomes a vicious cycle that is harder and harder to break free from. Trust me, I know from personal experience. Sin is bondage, and Christ died to give us freedom. Don't miss this opportunity to be set free. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing we can hide from our Heavenly Father. He knows every one of our dirty little secrets and sins. He knows all of our actions, past, present, and future. So tell him. He knows anyway. And his deepest desire is to set you free and to restore your relationship with him. As David talked about last week with the prodigal son, you may have run many, many miles away from God and you think you can never go back or be restored to him. It's only one step back. And the father will come running to you with a robe of righteousness, loving arms, and complete restoration and forgiveness. Run to him. He's waiting for you. As I was preparing for this message this week, and as I was doing my own personal devotion, I came across this devotion, which just fits incredibly well to what I'm saying here this morning, and it's called Call to Confession. It's a short little vignette that I want to read to you. It says, a friend called from Hawaii and told me about an injured seagull she saw on the beach. The poor bird couldn't walk at all, but flutter hopped in its quest for food. On closer examination, my friend saw that fishing line entangled the bird's legs, hobbling it. She approached slowly, extending her hand in the hope she could remove the line and do something about the bird's wounds. Frightened, the gull flew off, legs still hobbled and infected. Sometimes we're like that poor seagull. We become entangled in bad habits or addictions. 
in destructive relationships or all manner of fears. We peck away at our daily task, trying to forget the pain. All the while, the infection of sin is growing and going deeper until it threatens to destroy us. The seagull flew away from my friend, who wanted to untangle the fishing line and wash the wounds. We too often turn away from those who want to help us, and even from God, who is the only one who can really get rid of our sin. Sometimes we turn away out of fear, other times out of shame. More often we turn our backs because of our pride. We don't want others to see us at our ugly worst, so we limp along, pretending we're fine. The pain of removing what holds us captive can be frightening. Yet if we lay aside all those things that encumber our walk with God, if we strip off the sin that slows us down, as Hebrews 12.1 says, then we find the freedom and healing that comes from being reconciled to God. We no longer have to hobble about in isolation like the injured seagull, but we can live in communion with God the way we were created to. When we fully trust in God to help us and refuse to let our pride turn us away from his forgiveness, then we will, he will renew our strength, giving us joy and energy for the task ahead. We will run and not grow weary. We will soar high on wings like eagles. And Frederick Buchner said it, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the Golden Gate Bridge. So, finally, back to thou shall not murder. Most of you have not physically taken a life like I have but we've all gotten angry with someone. Be mindful of what is in your heart. Be mindful of who you vote for. Be mindful, women, when selecting a gynecologist. Be mindful of not judging others. Be mindful that Jesus came to, say, to seek and to save the lost. Be mindful that all of us are sinners saved by grace. In the words of Jesus, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus wasn't mincing words there. Finally, as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. 
But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I'm among the worst of sinners. But God had mercy on me. And he loves me and he has forgiven me. His mercies are new to me every morning. My child is with him. And someday we'll be reunited. Until then, both myself and my child are loved unconditionally. The reckless love of God. Please know that God loves each one of you unconditionally too. And he wants to shine his light and his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness on your dirty little secrets and the chains that bind you just as he did mine. There is forgiveness, grace, and mercy waiting for you. Stop believing the lies and start trusting your Heavenly Father. Let me pray. Oh, Father, your reckless love <laughs> 